And here we go. Hey, June, Frank Thompson, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Frank. How are you? I am good. Hey, man, I'm trying to capture this interview, a conversation, because we've known each other and have done this in passing uh, for a few years now, if not maybe over, I don't know how many years, but we finally had the chance to meet up here in uh, Phoenix, you know, a, a month or two ago, and I was so glad. And then in our first conversation, as and again, this will be just an open conversation between two friends as we get to know each other. And what I really like about this type of discussion, June, is that it's almost like I want people to eavesdrop in on as we get to know each other. And that's mm -hmm. why that's why I've kind of held back. Oh, no, don't say this. Don't tell that, because it sounds so fresh and alive when you meet somebody for the first time and kind of get into it. So yep. I am talking with Mr. June Moon. And in addition to being one of the more unusual names I've ever heard, the thing that spurred me to want to meet with you and, and get to know you better outside of drumming and loving of music and all of those things is you were the first person I ever heard tell me that you had a particular role with Apple in terms of oh. aggregator or something like that. And I'm like, huh, I had never heard that before. So that spurred the interest. So June Moon, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Hanging in there good, good. in the Windy City. All right, the Windy City, the Hawk, the Cold Town, oh, Chicago Town. Here. Yes. Yeah, yes. home of the Shy Lights and all other kinds of good good music. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, well, let's um, uh, let's get into it a little bit. So since I was first spurred by uh, hearing you talk about Apple and being an aggregator, um, let's talk a little bit about music. What kind of music are you into or did you grow up with? Where are you from and what you're about? That kind of thing. And then we'll just bounce all over. Sound good? Yes. Cool. Well, I, I am from as I am in Chicago. OK. Uh, I was born and raised. I was raised actually on the road. Uh, I was a musician since the age of, since third grade, actually. That's when I first started okay. playing drums. Yes. And I started um, after watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I think it was the first show. I think it was maybe 64 or something. Oh, you were one of they, those guys, huh? Yes. Okay. And I saw, I saw Rainbow, but most importantly, I saw all those girls out there screaming <laughs> and yelling. <laughs> And I said to myself in my heart, that's what I want to do. I want to do what he's doing, okay? So I immediately proceeded to the kitchen and took my mother's coffee can and poured out all the coffee on the floor <laughs> and got some clothes hangers and started um, beating on those coffee cans. And, of course, until my father came home and saw what I'd done. And um, so after a couple of times of that, you know, he decided that, well, I got to get this boy something to beat on before I kill him for, you know, <laughs> messing up all this money with the coffee. So I've been playing since the third grade. I was too young to be in the marching band. Okay. So in, in my grade school, um, and I, I was able to, I just went to practices every day, mm -hmm. and I was able to convince this nun Mm -hmm. to just let me try. And she said, well, we don't even have an extra field drum for you. You know, you're too short. So I got my father, I think my grandfather brought me a snare drum. They didn't know, you know, it right. wasn't a field drum, it was a snare drum. So okay. my father my father rigged it up so I could put it over my shoulder and I got to play in the assemblies in my grade school and as they say the rest is history. I um I performed um I, I actually was one of my first big gigs was on TV on a Christmas parade show. Get out of here. This, yeah, this this particular, I went to a school called Grant, Ulysses S. Grant on the west side of Chicago in the projects. Okay. And this particular school 
had an excellent marching band and they got to participate every year in the Christmas parade. And I was on WGN Channel 9, you know, walking with this weird drum because it was a snare drum. Everybody else had field drums. <laughs> now, when you and, say uh, field drum, do you mean those big bass drum things? Right? No, no, no field no. drums. Just, you know, the ones that tie the, the drum and bugle cord drums. Oh, like over and, the shoulders thing. Okay, I got you. Yeah, over okay. the shoulders and okay. the wrap around your legs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The deep drums. Yeah. And um, so that was it, Frank. I, um, I, I never looked back. Um, uh, eventually, my grandfather bought me um, a piecemeal drum set. He didn't know what he was doing, so he brought me a bass drum, and I already had the snare drum, and he didn't even know to get a foot pedal or a, <laughs> a stand for the snare, so I took the TV off the TV stand, and that was my snare drum stand. And, you know, I just put stuff together, man, but I think it, I know, I don't think it showed my father and my, my parents that, you know, I was... I wasn't going to stop making all this noise, so they might as well get with the program and help me whatever way they can. So I did grammar school. Um, I met in grammar school. The nuns left the school at that time. And okay. A guy, my mentor became a drum teacher named Mr. Charles Walton. He's deceased now. Mm -hmm. But he, he actually mentored lots of very well-known drummers now. Okay. That, um, and he became my drum teacher and um, all the way to high school. And um, it, it, was, it was a great experience. But before I even got to high school, I was introduced to Pop Staples of the Staples Singers. And, oh, um, man. Wow. Yeah. And, and royalty, you know, he, man. Royalty. Dude, dude. You, you have, you know, I, I have chills just talking about them. He became kind of my surrogate father. And I went on the road with these people, man. And, and back then, they weren't, you know, they weren't the staple singers that we know now. No. They were big gospel, but they were very big gospel. Right. And um, their manager just happened to be a guy named, who I didn't know who he was back then, named Robert Stigwood. He was an English, um, big English guy. But Robert Stigwood um, managed um, the Iron Butterfly, the Doors, the BGs, Donovan. RSO uh, Productions, man. Exactly, exactly. And he did the play hair. He did... You know, um, he did all these. He, he was a very, very big, powerful guy. And so we opened. You know, here I am, man. I'm like um, 11 years old. And I didn't know who they were, but we're opening for the BGs all around the country for the Iron Butterfly, Grateful Dead. I mean, Get all these. Get out of here at 11 years old, man. Frank, I used to, hey, man, quick story. I used to go stand by the, by the curtains and just watch these long-haired, like, hippie-looking guys play. And, I, of course, I love the drummers. Right. And, um, I, you know, when you're on stage, you can't see the audience because of the lights. Correct. So I always used to feel sorry for all of us because I knew there was nobody in the audience watching these people because they were too loud and they looked so ugly. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you couldn't see from the, from the stage. You can't see the audience. Right, right, right. And one day, I never will forget, in Toledo, Ohio, uh, Jim Morrison, we were opening, we were with The Doors. The Doors, yeah. And the, yeah, and Jim Morrison, one of the famous times he went out on stage and stripped. And, and the police um, um, came and um, they turned on the lights in the theater. And I said, oh, my God, of course it was packed. I mean, you yeah. know. And that, then I kind of found out who these people were. Okay. So that, that, was, that was my initiation into um, not just um, the music industry, but the, yeah, the music business, because I was a little guy. 
I was short. Okay. And um, I, I never worked for Dick Clark and, and the BGs. I mean, Barry and his brothers, they loved me because I was this little black guy. They could play pretty decently, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we used to drive around at Pops' Fleetwood. We would go from city to city, no sleep, because, you know, we couldn't fly around. Like, they had private planes. and But they would, they had their roadies pack up my drums. Okay. My little Ludwig drum set, and they would fly my drums around. So it was a, an incredible experience, Frank, and that was my initiation into the world of music. And this and, is when, uh, this is when the staple singers were really still within the uh, folk scene a little bit. Yes, and definitely in the gospel. Did you get any Sam Cooke yes. overlap with that? Absolutely. I we mean, were known. Mm -hmm. We were known as so folk gospel okay. that's exactly how they will build okay. you know opening act for these people and um of course you know that's one reason people don't realize that the stickles had a bigger white audience right than they did black all the way through because of the early you know introduction to this audience from opening for these rock bands well and and especially on that folk scene too because i i, I was listening to an interview with Mavis Staples last year sometime, and she talked about how she and Bob Dylan were, yeah. you know, of the same young age and really close yeah. friends and, you know, talking about getting married. They had this little, you know, thing for each other and how they still remain friends to this day. But it was that combination of gospel, folk, you know, um, and, and soul, right, that really did a lot of touring. And to hear you say you were there is conjuring that conversation up that I listened to it, 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 with, with, Frank, with, I was, with Mavis. I was, mm -hmm. I was literally there. I, re, I mean, Dylan was my buddy. You know, I, I only wish um, that they had the technologies back then. Yeah. You know, I just think of all the pictures, I think of all the things that I did hanging out with uh, with Dylan and, and Jim Moore and all the guys in the BGs. That was my, my favorite group was the BGs. And of course, the Iron Butterfly because of that drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Was, was that uh, Inagata de Vida? Iron yes, Butterfly. Sir. Inagata de Yeah. Yes, okay. sir. All right. For about a, All right. for about a half an hour. Yeah. Was, yeah. You know, and I just sit there amazed that he had this. And I was a baby. I was amazed that he had the stamina to last. You know, and they didn't have all the technology back then to fake stuff. You know, he was. He was really playing that. He was stuff. playing it. Yeah. Hey, you know, yeah. It's, it's funny, man. My only when I think of drummers. Uh, for me, the only drummer I ever knew was Ringo, right? For the Beatles, and and he just looked yeah. the coolest and was kind of the funny, you know, the kind of the the, the sly funny guy. And it was only yeah. later that it, you know, I I when I got older, I heard about, you know, maybe on Johnny Carson or something, I'd see this guy named Buddy Rich, right? Yes. Or uh, or hear about a Gene Krupa from some old movies, and then I'm like, okay, and then I got it. so, and it was funny when you were talking about putting your own set together you know as a, as a boy when you first got yeah. that stuff when i first got into hand drumming what in the early 90s you know and i remember people saying asking me because i'd say yeah i do drumming and they would say do you play trap i'm like what does that mean and yeah. I, and I did, do you play trap set what what you know I, and kit i'm like what and then yeah. of course i'm a hand drummer so i have no idea but i had to do my research and i didn't know that that term trap came from the olden days where people would have contraptions that they would yes. put on a big bass drum you yes. know and that became the trap set and every individual drummer had their own set of contraption and that evolved 
into the formal drum set that we have today, right? Absolutely. Or the drum kit. I had no idea because I just kept, I, I'd ask people, what is this trap? Is it a beaver trap? Is it a rat trap? What is trap, trap, trap? <laughs> so, you know, and I kind of laugh at myself, you know, I'm pretty well read about music, but I, but what do I know about instruments? I grew up as a choir guy, right? So I had never heard trap. And nobody uses that term anymore, right? I mean, but yeah, it's, no, you know, drum no. set was all I knew. Yeah. So, but you yeah. actually put together your own trap set back yes. in the day as a, as a boy. Yes. And then you turn into 11 years old. And I summarized kind of a little bit, just keep us moving a little bit. So, and, and you're on the road with, now this is before the staple singers are the staple singers to white mainstream America, right? Because that didn't happen until I'll Take You There. And right. that song, man... Every I, you know, anytime I put on that, there's no way that I cannot tap my feet and just it hits me in my rhythmical DNA. I'll take you there yeah. by the staple singers. Woo! Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was not a big gospel head either, outside of um, uh, Sam Cooke, you know, the Soul Stirrers, yeah. and but everybody knew like Clara Ward, you know, Mahalia yeah. Jackson. But man, Chicago was woo. Chicago well, I, was I, a tapper. Uh huh. Because of my relationship with them, I later on became Mahalia's drummer. And um, wait Sam a minute, you drummed for Mahalia Jackson? I am talking Absolutely. with royalty here, man. Tell the story. She, she actually, she actually lived down on Indiana, down um, down the street. The pops them lived on 89th and okay, um, right off of Cottage, and, and Mahalia lived down the street. And her pianist, uh, Robert Anderson. Okay. Um, um, of course, all all these people were like. They were like neighbors and buddies and friends. Now, is this the Bronzeville area or just no? No, okay, no. This is the South Side. Okay, this is the, this is the South Side. Uh, this is Chatham, and right outside of Chatham. Okay, so for uh -huh. folks who don't know Chicago like me, clean this up for me because I've know I've heard of Bronzeville, right? Like people migrated north, the Great Migration up into Chicago. Yes. A lot of folks in Bronzeville, but people say South Side, West Side. I know they don't say North Side because that's water, right? Right. Um, but exactly. what don't we know about Chicago? About how well, it's laid out. <laughs> Chicago, well, the Great Migration uh -huh. basically brought um, blacks up from the South, right. and they they predominantly um, congregated in what's now known as Bronzeville, right? Because that was the only area that blacks could live. Segregation. Okay? Yeah. We couldn't we couldn't live on the South Side. We couldn't live on the West Side. You know, we lived in in uh, the area from um, probably Fifty First to Thirty um, Fifth. Okay. And that's the area of that's now known as Bronzeville. Okay. And even though, and there were a lot of old mansions, and we lived in coach houses. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they lived with relatives. We lived with many of our relatives. Now, what is a so, what is a coach house? What, what is coach that? house is the garage with an apartment up over it. That's wow. the, the the garage used to be barns, used to be like where the horses were kept. Real coach real house. coaches. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So then, from 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 Bronzeville, now mm -hmm. we started um, fanning out. Okay. And you know, we started migrating to the south side. Mm -hmm. uh, we would typically we went from um, Bronzeville, my family, okay. to 59th Street. You know, we kind of eased up south. Okay. Because just like remember that that show, The Jeffersons. Yes. You know, that was easing on up. You got you got further south. Okay. And the white people started leaving and. Blacks got up into that area. Now we were buying houses. Okay. Now we were owning property. Okay. And um, so, and we went as far now as the the suburbs, okay. which is like you got your Flossmore and your Olympia Fields. That's really where the quote unquote 
and you know the well-to-do black slave okay and uh then you go you don't go north because north is lincoln park and north is still to this day that's that's you know unless you really got money mm -hmm. you don't go up there that's that's the manhattan uh well yeah that's the manhattan you know, but then we we went west okay because they started building housing projects the government started building housing projects are we talking to robert west. taylor stuff we're talking Robert Taylor, which is near south. Okay. But then we're talking Rockwell Gardens, which is which is west, and that's where I went to grammar school. And I lived in Rockwell Gardens in the projects. Okay. But back then, Frank, the projects were like, you know, they were skyscrapers, and so even right. though they were moved out, of, the walls were all concrete. You know, we were happy. We had a park. We had a playground. So that's how Chicago still, to this day. Unfortunately, it's still one of the most segregated cities because the lines are clearly drawn right. in the country. Okay. Hey, and it's true. And, I remember when I went to Chicago on business, you know, back in my corporate days, and I went, yep. in, I went into Chicago uh, for, you know, several visits. And it was the first time, I mean, I had heard the term the other side of the street, but I had never felt the term the other side of the street where you could have literally mega mansions, high rise and then absolute poverty across the street i had never Absolutely. i had never seen anything like that and and one of the guys Absolutely. that I, that took me he was a former uh uh priest or christian brother kind of thing and yeah. so he worked a lot, you know, a lot of the different uh, communities and he just told me stories about chicago and the segregation and laid out and you, you know and you go here you don't go here you go here you and i'm like really and he's you know, and what do i know you know, look i'm just a barefoot you know hang ten surfing brother from san diego right and when i saw that and i felt it you know i was like wow this is a different way of living right i mean not you don't know it emotionally and all that kind of stuff you know literally but um you can you really feel it in chicago you really feel uh, the, it, the distinctions uh, the lines mm -hmm. yes you do now and now um uh, I just saw the statistics a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and blacks blacks are actually leaving the city, and Hispanics are kind of taking over the city. Right, and um, population wise. Okay, so that, that that's an interesting um, new phenomenon, and it's good. It's great. Yeah, but blacks are leaving out and, and going back south <laughs> and going other places. So you know, but that Chicago is a great place. Mm -hmm. I, I I love the city. It's extremely diverse okay um, again you don't you don't mix up a lot but it's extremely but it's diverse, diverse. Well, yes and it's that, very 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 diverse so when you're and coming you, when you were coming up then you had to be hanging around the same time i mean because people forget how much music okay here here's my um layperson's view of chicago before i became in, informed okay the only music that came out of chicago is blues not true not true. Not, 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 not even close. Right. But, you know, everybody no. thinks chess records and then that's it. But Chicago no. had everything. I mean, because you guys birthed uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. Right. And yeah. and Gene Chandler. Right. From uh, uh -huh. and and uh, who's and some of those doo wop guys like from uh, the cat was it Cadillacs. Uh, oh, they used, they, they used to call me Earl. My, but my real name is Mr. Earl. Daddy-o? Coolio? Yeah. yeah all the, so tell me about Chicago music growing up. As, so you're 11, you're making music, you're touring with all these famous people. What else was influencing you in your home? Well, mm -hmm. you, in, you know what? What I, what I love about talking about this stuff, Frank, is that yeah. I was there. Okay. okay. I'm, I am 67. Okay. And, but I started very young. Yes. So I was there. Chicago is literally the home of gospel. Okay. Okay. We had Thomas Dorsey, who's known as the father of gospel. 
he was right here with my helmet. Okay, I got to see these guys and meet these guys. Now you said Thomas and Dorsey. Course, That's not Tommy Dorsey for, from uh, uh, sitting, in a, sitting in a la la waiting for my yeah yeah. Uh -huh. Not that guy. That no, was oh, no, that Thomas, was Lee Dorsey. Thomas okay. Dorsey's peace be to peace be still. Okay, this is Thomas Dorsey, the father of gospel. Okay, okay. He wrote all the mega gospel songs. Okay. Mostly for Mahalia and for other gospel greats. Okay. Then you had um, the, the Southern blacks from down south from Mississippi, mm -hmm. um, Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, right. Holly Wolf, all those guys migrated up to Chicago. Yep. I mean, because this was the city for the great migration. Yes. So Chicago became the home of blues. Because as you said, Chess Records, I was a staff drummer. At Chess Records. What? And yeah, dude. Yeah, man. It was Ralph Bass and all those guys, man. It was. So it you, was, so it you was, played with Willie Dixon? Yes, dude. Man, yeah. I had no I, idea I, we'd I, be I, getting I, into I this. I, I wasn't a loud drummer with him, but I, this recordings, uh -huh. a lot of his recordings I played. They weren't but about a handful of drummers in Chicago. And remember, I was a kid. I, I wasn't a full fledged. I wasn't. You know Morris Jennings and all these guys, and and uh, I wasn't. I was the little kid that said, said they would say, "Okay, that's Pops' son, so let him. You know, let's let him come in to sit in." And I was the staff. I was staff drum one of the staff drummers at Chess. Uh, I was staff drummer at Brunswick. You mentioned earlier the Shalites. Yeah. Well, I I played. There were two drummers there. Quentin, I called him Zob. Quentin, I forget his last name. And then when Quentin left and went to Philadelphia International. I became the staff drummer for Brunswick, and we were staff. So what's funny now is that my son will listen and hear all these samples, yeah. you know, of all the hip-hop people. Right. And they said, man, Daddy, you like that beat you like? I said, yeah, fool, that's me, you know. <laughs> and and um, wow. but back then, because wow. we were staff, right? you know, it wasn't like you're going to go in and, you know, hey, we're, we're recording with Gene Records and the Shylights today, or Marshall Thompson. So it's not now. We just went in and did tracks. Gene, right, right. Gene Records, yeah, Gene Records might be there. Carl Davis would be there, but we were just laying down tracks. We didn't know who, where, what they would end up on, you know, until they hit the street. And unfortunately, back in those days, they didn't give musicians credit. No, so that's even before. Well, that's still probably right around the time. Just maybe is that just a little bit before the Wrecking Crew in L.A. That's famous now, or, or the, uh, that, that's, the the that's, Funk Brothers, before. and even before the Funk Brothers in in uh, uh, Motown, this, right? Okay, this is right. The Funk Brothers were there. This is because Barry Gordy, least known to people, okay, is that Barry Gordy was a songwriter first. Him, Reet he was Petit. a songwriter. Yes, and Barry used to also write with a man named Carl Davis from Chicago, who was the president of Brunswick. He didn't own it, but he was the president of Brunswick record. And Carl produced the Shalites and Gene Chandler and all those people. Mm -hmm. But he and Barry were collabor collaborated on many of the early hits. It was uh, it was Carl Davis, Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson. Those were the writers. And the Funk Brothers were created in, in, in Detroit Right. But the, they would also import. I never, I never played on any Motown records. But they would import many of the musicians from Chicago to come down to Hitsville to play because they had writers. They had, they had uh, um, Gene Page, and they, they had arrangers. So you had to be able to read music. Okay. And fortunately, a lot of the guys from Chicago 
they they were they were trained musicians and they could you know they were blues and jazz guys but they could read so Barry and those people down there would they would drive these guys would drive all the time up to Motown and and play on those sessions wow never had heard that piece man uh, you know I, I tell you what though that uh that documentary on the Funk Brothers man was one of the maybe the second or third uh-huh. best documentary I've ever seen I just uh, lo- I loved it loved those it. guys were legendary and unfortunately they all were broke you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. and it's funny. You know, the story. It, Barry's kind of a mixed bag, right? Because he, I mean, and and I'd, I'd say more to the Barry uh, again, Barry, uh, Barry, Barry Gordy, but um, you know, d- overwhelmingly more positive than negative. But he ran a tight ship on contracts, man. You know, oh, and, he did. And, and nobody ever busted him for not getting paid. Nobody ever busted nope. him for not paying their taxes. Hey, here's the contract. Here's what we're doing. And he did. Yep. And he did. And he ran it like a machine. Right. He came out of Ford. I want I want yes. it just like this. And you either got with the program or you didn't. And that didn't bust yep. out until Stevie Wonder and Marvin. Right. Yep. <laughs> when they when they yep. separated, then it became a different company. And he's making movies then. But that initial thing was like uh, is automation, man. Come in, hit your job, lay your tracks, do your thing, and we're making it's it's Hitsville. It's a machine. Yeah, yeah. And and, he, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I I don't think people realize how close Detroit and Chicago are either. Because in my mind, they could have been a thousand miles apart. So a lot of people forget that that Great Lakes region is close. I mean, you got Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, another hop over. You know, it's all close, you know? Yes. Yes, Chicago, uh, Detroit five hours away. Yeah, and crazy, crazy. By car, by car. Right, you know. right. And that was then, right? Yeah. <laughs> that yep. was then. So so, yep. you're, so, you're, so you're in that, um, do you want to, would you consider, what's a better word, crucible or milieu or just hot mix of stuff with all that energy running around right because you got the stuff coming up from from the south right that's that's kind of settled in now for you know 20 years or so with the migration you got the res you know the long-term folks that have been from chicago anyway the residents right and then so all of this energy is coming in at just this time and the gospel roots right from all of that yeah yeah this 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 was home miles davis was born in um st louis east st louis which is right down the street but this is where Miles Davis cut his teeth, man. This is where Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones was born here. This is where Quincy Jones cut his teeth. Forget about this that. This is where Lionel Hampton, Lou Rawls, all these people cut their teeth here. Okay. You know? Okay. Because, you know, this, Chicago kind of gets... Chicago kind of gets short thrift compared to Detroit because the Motown publishing machine, you know, publicity machine was so so hot. Because um, yes. when I, but when you say Lou, Roll, I mean we're talking Jerry Butler, right? You know, yes. we're talking all those cats. But Chicago the, was the impressions, Jerry Butler, the impressions. Yeah, um, all these people. Chicago. Okay, okay, all right. So you're in that stuff. You're influenced, and you're kind of getting, you know, you're man, you're right in the middle as that young kid coming through, pushing that, yeah. you know, and and soaking up the gospel, soaking up the folk. So, tell me more. I um. When I look back, mm-hmm. of course, back then you're, you know, you, you don't really understand what you're in and what's happening. You're just doing it. You, you're just doing it, man. Right, right. And you realize that you don't realize the people for the name value. Mm-hmm. You realize the people for the expertise. Oh, really? Okay. okay. All right. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I saw Gene Chandler. I just saw, I was with Gene Chandler Saturday at a birthday party. Okay. 
And um, no, that's the Duke of Earl for folks who don't know. That's the Duke of Earl. And, that's the Duke of Earl. And did, was he the rain, he, Rainbow? Right? There's a Rainbow. Rainbow. Okay. Rainbow yeah. sixty five. Okay. There you go. All yes. right. And I, I didn't do Rainbow sixty five. I did Rainbow eighty five. Nice. Okay. All right. And and, and, I, and I, I was just listening with my girlfriend. I had just been in my truck on the way to the party, and you know he was it was on the radio. And when I, I didn't expect Gene to be there because it was a birthday party for Richard Steele, a famous DJ here. Yeah. And, and who had just turned 80. And um, and I saw him. I said, Gene, I just finished listening. I hadn't seen him in five, six years. I just finished listening to our stuff on the radio. So it, it was just not the music, Frank. It was the, literally the culture okay. that Chicago um, permeated. It was a culture of music. Uh, um, Motown, Barry got a lot of his stuff from here because we did have here Chess Records, the Chess Brothers. Right. We did have here Carl Davis in Brunswick. So Barry had a lot of talent, but he got a lot of the business acumen from hanging around the people in Chicago. Okay. 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 I mean, his father and he were good businessmen, but Barry is, was an artist. He was a creative person. Yes. Like, you know, I, I think his sisters, and his father and other people helped him out. But, of course, now he is who he is. You can't take anything away from it. But Barry was a talent. He was he was a creative. And Chicago was just the place to be. I mean, from, from Gene Chandler, I learned so much about business. I learned – I mean, Gene Chandler had his own label uh, called Whatever's Fair. And, you know, he had a deal with Mercury Records. So I was, I was, I was never just a drummer. Frank, just like okay. I can take over this conversation, I always stuck my neck in the right places. Okay. And because of my early training with Pop Staples, yes. who really taught me everything I needed to know about the music business, you know, I was able to walk right. I was always dressed the part. I was I taught that perfect staples. Pop's son taught me that early how to dress and look and talk. So I was always able to walk into, I was a spook by the door. I was always able to walk in meetings with people and just sit over there and listen. And that helped me later get in. That was my parlay into the music industry, you know. Um, I tell you what, June, I had no way that, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. But this, this um, history lesson is something I didn't expect to capture. Um, and I'm looking forward to, 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 to learning all of this stuff because as a person who, um, researched pop music, you know, some people are uh, coin collectors, you know, or stamp collectors or whatever baseball card. I studied pop music, right. Mm. For 30, <laughs> 40 years. And I read, I mean, I, it, it's no longer, you know, I'm a little older now, so the brain is a little spongy, but there was, right. a, there was, I mean, I, I have read so much about pop music and all of these artists that you're talking about. And for me, these are, these were idols in my brain. And to hear someone say, oh, no, 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 I knew them. I made music is absolutely flattening my brain in a way that I didn't expect. And I, and when you mentioned Gene Chandler, I mean, I'm sitting here now thinking, wait a minute, when I was singing Duke, 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 Duke over, you know, in the early seventies, when they had that fifties revival, Yep. There's no way that I thought that I'd be talking to someone who sang with Gene Chandler. And when I went to a business trip as a young executive to Chicago at some meeting with, I forget the name of the organization, and Gene Chandler was singing. He was the, he was the yep. performer. And I'm like, oh my God, 
And, you know, everybody else is, you know, sitting at the dinner table doing their thing. But I'm looking at this guy like I'm looking at God, right? Because right. I have read his story and I knew the Duke of Earl and I knew the rainbow, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is Gene Chandler. And you know what he was singing that night? A mix. What? He was singing Marvin Gaye's What's Going On album, the first track. Wow. And he was wow. singing that live with a little four or five piece band. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, so anyway, those are the so I when, I, when you say Gene and then. I went out to the elevator, and when he finished, right, he's done with his set, I got to shake his hand. So I'm thinking, I shook Gene Chandler's hand, and I'm sitting here talking now with someone who made music with Gene Chandler and is a friend. That just blows me away. That's all. These are the things that, these are how my synapses are connecting. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I'm very glad, happy, and I appreciate you, you know, contacting me and um, talking because... You know, our history mm -hmm. as musicians and, you know, it, it, it goes over all race boundaries and everything. Yeah. As musicians, we have such a deep history that really goes beyond the music. Um, and now with this new age of digital, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of musicians uh, kind of get, they get missed. I, at this birthday party, I must have had five people who came over to my table and wanted me to help them with different things, okay. you know, because these are older people, you yeah. know, yeah. And, and and they look at me as a digital icon because of my situation with Apple and all the digital stores. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, um, the platforms have changed, but nothing else, Frank, has changed. Business is still done the same way it was yep. done before, unfortunately, yep. unfortunately. And everything kind of remained the same, but, you know, the the problem is that it's not the older people, it's the young people that don't know and have the history. Okay, okay. Yeah. They they get lost the quickest. And I and I always my son always sends me these TikTok videos and asks and people a lot of people do and ask me, is this accurate? You know, are they do they know do they know what they're talking about? And most of the time they're complaining and talking about how they got ripped off by mm -hmm. a record and how their publishing got taken. Right. And even up until, you know, the the, the late, the early 2000s, right. I was still in the music industry. Okay. And, um, you know, and I had, I had my deal, I got my deal with Apple um, 2003. Okay. And, you know, and and, I'm, I'm going to hit on that Apple stuff in a, in a little bit, but let me, but people, for, as you're talking about this industry, when people talk about the music industry, I'll remember the music industry is a publishing industry and a Absolutely. performance industry. And that's where the money is, right? You either live perform or you get published. Everything else is noise. And I, and when you were talking about Barry Gordy, I remember reading his books and studying up on him. And when he had written that hit, when he had written that hit, Reet Petit for the yeah. famous Jackie Wilson, and he came back yeah. and he got no royalties and, and he said, well, what am I, you know, because, you know, everybody's skimming or paying this person, paying that. Because unless you own the publishing rights, you don't make any money. And then even then you got to chase it down. And we're not even talking about from a minority, from a minority perspective. Right. So you're either getting the performance gate or the publishing gate. And that's where the, that's what this industry is. And any performer who forgets that or doesn't know that is in peril. Right. Because the money's in the. Am I am I right about that or. 
You're a hundred thousand percent right, and okay. that's what everybody's complaining about mm -hmm. that they didn't get paid, right. not realizing that all they were living on were loans, right? Advances, advances, and if right. they didn't have publishing, if they didn't own the rights to the songs, which most of them gave away for money, then in their eyes, they think that they were ripped off, and they really weren't ripped off. They just gave it up, gave it up, or didn't never had it, or didn't. Or they were just ignorant and didn't know what to do. Exactly, and, and exactly. And, 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 right. and publishing is it. Publishing is all the money. And, and that's when uh, you know Smokey turned to Barry and said, "Well, if you're not going to make any money, you might as well go into your own business, right? If you're not yeah. going to get paid, you might as well try to control the, you know, control the source, right? I.e., exactly. I.e., Barry account. still mm -hmm. Barry has the biggest um, plot in Bel Air, mm -hmm. up on top of a mountain. And he, even though when he sold Motown, I think he only sold it for like 60 million. Yeah. And then um, Ooh, good they memory. turned around and sold it for like a hundred and something million. Right. But he didn't sell all of his publishing. He still owned, mm -hmm. I don't know what he has now, but Joe Bed and all those publishing companies that he owned, he still owned like at least 50% of that. And that's where he made his money. In publishing. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, and, and what the only thing that I've, I've never really enjoyed, and it kind of, how do you say, chaps my hide, grates my spirit when, you know, people look back and they'll see all of these artists, you know, whether they black, white, green, um, but predominantly African-American. And they try to say they were stupid for not getting royalties. I'm like, no, they were hungry, you know. Yes. And, and if you yeah. can't, you know, first off, you can't live in the, per if you're making any money, you can't live where you want to live. You can't do what you want to do. But how, do you, how about even before you made it, you couldn't find a job, you know. If, yeah. I'm going to give you fifty dollars for this song. Okay, nobody yeah. knows. Nobody knows it's going to be a hit, but that fifty dollars might represent a month's worth of food, right? Yep. So people yep. forget about survival versus, you know, uh, uh, what do you uh, versus you know becoming a multimillionaire off of having some hit? Because if everybody knew what a hit song was going to be, then we'd all be billionaires, right? But nobody knows, and people are. Uh, you know, doing the best they can on a daily basis and making those kinds of decisions. But I've, I've never really liked the, my point being, I've never really liked uh, when people call artists stupid or uninformed. They're not stupid. They're hungry. You know, they're, they're hungry. And it's just like somebody going and taking, you know what? My labor as a carpenter might be $50 an hour, but you know what? I'm going to come in and do this little side job for 10 because I need to eat today or whatever. Yeah. The same thing, yeah. different craft. I, right? I, I, I never will. I never will forget. Um, an artist, a writer came to me mm -hmm. maybe 10 years ago and um, to help him, he said, you know, I sold this song to, um, I'm not going to mention the artist's name, a sure. famous black um, artist who actually is going to jail now. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, he gave me $40,000 for um, this song. Right. I, I've been, a huge song. And um, I mean, it was a movie was made around the song. Okay. And um, I said, so, yeah, so what's the problem? He said, well, I was told, which I'm sure is true, that this artist's royalty check was $10 million. Okay. I said, so what did you do with the 40000 He said, well, I brought my mother a house and mm -hmm. I got a car. And I said, well, at that time, that's what you needed and that's what you wanted. Yep. You didn't want $10 million. Yep. You wanted a house for your mother and a car, and and that's what you got. And you know, I, you we you didn't know, but right. you know right. that's that's the way the ball bounces. And you know, he got his ten million, and you got your forty thousand. So 
don't do that no more. Okay, exactly. And and it's like you know, and that spills over a little bit too into contemporary athletics. You know, there was somebody who and I had never even thought about it. And he says, you know what? There's not going to be any more bankrupt athletes because these kids now get financial education as teenagers. Yep. You know, yeah. so that generation that, you know, they had all this and, and same thing with performance, right? Like that. Those days exactly. of ignorance are gone because that, that now that's now institutional knowledge in the community that wasn't there. And I always think it's important to point that stuff out because a lot of times people want to shine the light or the mirror back on minorities, uh, you know, communities and say, oh, they're stupid. They didn't know. They're uninformed. They didn't, yeah. you know, they didn't have generations of wealth coming. They, you know, yeah. ha- when you go from eating, you know, uh, hamburger to steak to filet, I mean, you know, they, these are different, migra- you know, different, uh, different gradations of, of, of experience, right? And you have to learn yes. all that stuff. So don't call people ignorant when they don't know, because they're making, no. great, they're making decisions on based on what their opportunities are. You know, you're right. you're and right. if your yes. opportunity is only to have this, then you're going to have the best of that. But if, but, yes. but if you don't know about investing if you don't know and how can you invest when you don't have any banks in your community right i mean i mean <laughs> you know so but these those are all social things i just i just always like to point those out because sometimes these great creative people are not stupid what they huh. lacked was opportunity yes and information yeah yeah that's yeah anyway all right so all right so in this stuff isn't this fun conversation i just love it I appreciate it. Yeah, yes. me too. So, so you're so you're banging around in in as a as a young person, you're soaking up all of this, cr- if I can say, cross cultural uh, business, musical, and you're understanding that is that it is the music business, and that's yes. getting ingrained in you as a as a young person. So you understand the art. Can right? I can I can I just say, Frank, a quick short story? Jump in. That's what this is all about. So um, later on in my career with the Staples, okay, uh, I, I literally pops literally fired me when I got, but actually I became a sophomore in high school to make sure that I went to school. You know, he didn't want me out on the road. And at that time, that's when I actually went and started playing with Gene Chandler okay. and all these other people. And um, but while, then I went back on the road. Uh, one of pops' daughters, the youngest daughter, mm-hmm. died, okay. and so the family said, "June, would you go back on the road?" You know. Take care of pops. So I went back on the road as the road manager for the Staple Singers, and again he was still they were still um, managed by RSO by Stapleton. Okay. And so I got to be the road manager. So we would do, and, and then now you got Shana Boom Boom. Yeah, I'll take you there. And I mean they're big now. They're, they're headlining. Okay. And you're and you're road managing at this time. And wow. I'm and I'm road managing. So wow. we would go into different cities, and the uh, Stigwoods. Stigwood's assistants would fly in to make sure that uh, they got their money from the box office. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I'm still a shorty. You know, I'm like nine. I'm I'm 18. I'm not even married. So I'm 18. Okay, and so they would give me these paper bags, Frank, from um, and just tell me take the limo and take this back to the hotel and put it in Pops's room. And you know, I I was I'm just excited because I'm. Big time now, and I'm the road manager for the state. <laughs> okay, and um, and still can't buy a drink. Still cannot buy a drink. Okay, and uh, can't even get in the cab by myself. Okay, so I go back to the hotel. I mean, many many years I did this, and one day my curiosity got the best of me, and I opened one of those brown paper bags, mm-hmm. and there was all this money. Okay, 
So I had got the nerve up to ask Pops one day, Pops, what what is this? So they would be taking the money from the box office before the IRS got there. See, a lot of artists don't even know that now. A lot of big artists, I don't think, unless they got good managers, right. know that the IRS shows up. Well, now it's all done with uh, artificial intelligence. Right, right. But, you know, the money from the box office back in those days, somebody from the IRS will come up there to tax the money and make sure that the IRS, you know, they walk away with their their whatever percentage for the government. Right there from, the, right there from the gate. Right there from the gate. Still to this day, if it's a live concert, well, it's ticket trying on all these other people. But, right. you know, so I, I, I learned then, I'm like, oh, my goodness. So that was skimming off the top, okay? And luckily, Pops was this, like, an enormous, uh, you know, he come up in the South. He come up literally by his bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And so you weren't going to cheat him. He was just like, he was on it. He was on everything. And he taught me how to be on everything. Wow. And so the, the and I, and I, I never read, met Robert Stigwood, but I met all his lieutenants. Mm -hmm. And again, because I was I was a little guy, I was able to sit in on all these meetings and negotiations and get all this information that, Frank, if I died tomorrow, that would be the highlight of my life is because all the information that I learned from the music business side okay. of it, not even realizing it, okay? okay. Not even realizing it. So, you know, today, kids, young people have a humongous advantage because all you got to do is have this little device in your hand that we're talking to now called a cell phone. Right. And you can find out anything that ever was or ever will be by Google or whatever method you use. So they have everything at the tips of their fingers. You, all know, you are so correct about that. And, and I, I tell a lot of folks now as a, you know, as an elder, because, you know, I've lived long enough now. And I say, you know, content is not the key. Content is everywhere. Artistry yes. is what's not everywhere now. Right. Yes. And things yes. are shifting because there was always gatekeepers to content, gatekeepers yes. to information. Oh, you want to you want to get this information? You got to go to college. Oh, you want to go get this information? Oh, you got to go to a trade school. Well, you know what? Look at YouTube, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or go get it off of Google. Content is everywhere. But, it. but how to and the art and applying it, ah, that's what's not that that's yep. the, that's the currency of today's market. And I and I yep. think like, you know, we our generation span going from analog that we grew up in for most of our lives and then hit digital, right? And now yep. that's what's happening. It used to be content and now it's art. Yep. of how you are as a manager how do you engage as a business person the way you engage with people can you get folks on your team that is all art and craft yep. that's not content <laughs> you know and that's where the success is going to be in the future right you know as a performer um do, okay you you know what a contract is you know what publishing is you know that's that content stuff but do you have the skill set as as an artist to apply that in these other arenas that will let you earn an income Right. And yep. allow people to want to support you. Anyway, that those are some of the things I think about that are pretty fascinating as things uh, have evolved and changed. When when I uh, also just double clicking on on uh, on on this this Chicago thing, what are other things that outside of it being a great city, second city, what are other things about the Chicago music scene that people generally don't know? Um, this is uh, number one. When people when you're here, 
if you're in, of course, this is pre-COVID. Yeah. You know, if you're out in clubs, uh-huh. you you know, just going around for the on the live music scene. Yeah. You absolutely, positively don't know who's going to show up. I've been in many places where many times where Mick Jagger would be sitting in the audience. He wasn't on the show. He'd just show up. Where, um, what's his name? Um, um, the guy from, um, Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Who. What was his name? Oh, Pete Townsend? Um, oh, dude. Okay. These cats, you know, they have on baseball caps. I mean, they wouldn't be hiding. They'd just be out hanging. Okay? So this is, you know, a lot of young people don't realize, a lot of our generation doesn't realize it, but this is the Mecca, and people still know that, and people still come for, like, leftovers. You know, Buddy Guy has a club here. Um, you know, um, Saperstein from Chicago had a club here for years. Okay. Okay, Danny Saperstein. I mean, for years. Okay. And uh, uh, the guy from... Um, um, my favorite group, the Eagles, um, Henley. Henley. Oh, Don Henley. Okay, yeah. Dude, I've seen that guy. I never met him. I've seen him so <laughs> many times. I mean, just hanging out. It's. It, and, I mean, these are not fancy places. So the, they're the, just the mu- tapping into that root of the music. Dude, okay. I mean, there was a place here on the south side on 55th Street called the Checkerboard Lounge. Okay. I mean, the Stones would actually show up and show out. They would actually go up on stage and perform, okay? And wow. same thing with same thing with the jazz scene. I mean, I I played Count Basie for a hot minute. And this is where the opportunity came for me to play with him because I was playing in a joint and Lockjaw, Eddie Lockjaw Davis saw me play uh, at a place called the uh, Happy Medium. Okay. And he was just hanging out. And Lady Lockdown Davis was Count Basie's band leader. Okay. And um, that's where the opportunity came for me to go with Basie. Um, and, and that still happens now. I mean, it still happens now. Okay. Um, okay. So sh- Chicago is the hub. It's, uh, you know, this is where Kanye is from. This is where Common's from. This is where you got to, I mean, up until right now, Frank. Oh, Common, you know, Common is, like, is on it. Common oh, is uh, Common is great. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, this, is, this is still the mayor, Chance, Chance the Rapper, who's my son's god brother. Okay. I mean, this, this is still their home, and they're here all the time. So you come to Chicago, if you want to, you know, it used to be in the old, old days. Yeah. You know, you go to L.A., uh, and you still can go to New York and see anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. But Chicago is right around the corner from everything. We're right in the Midwest. And we still have this flurry of talent, of creativity, of um, consciousness about the music that founded this city. And it still lives. Oh man, that is that is great. You know, let me and let me do this, June. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this session up um, on that comment about Chicago, and then we'll do we'll do a couple more. You know, and we haven't even touched on the Apple piece. You know that uh, that sparked the 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 idea of me wanting to to capture. But I'm looking forward to talking to you some more about some of this stuff because when you mentioned Chicago and you uh, and you said uh, you like the Eagles, right? And uh, oh yeah, dude. Okay, Chicago Transit Authority or the Eagles, if you had to choose. Absolutely. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Um, oh, no, CTA, um, Chicago. 
Okay. The, the ba- I'm thinking, you know, which is the band Chicago, right? You know, yes, with, Chicago, yes. Yeah, you would take Chicago yeah. over, over the Eagles? Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, Chicago or Earth, Wind, and Fire? Oh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, but I, I would take a... I, I was a late bloomer to the Eagles because I, I was uh, a kid of the mid-70s, right? And the Eagles were, you know, all over the charts with that stuff or just kind of starting their, their, their rise. But I didn't quite get them until I maybe... Um, afterwards, I started to like them a little bit more, and I did some more research, you know, and I learned about, you know, the Linda Ronstadt connection out of, you know, out of Arizona, and and all, you know, mm-hmm. back with the Stone Ponies, and but and you know, was it Glenn Fry? I think, yeah, Glenn Fry and Don, yep. Don yep. Henley, yep. And, I, and when I and so yeah, but so the Eagles were like, yeah, okay, you know, but yeah, but it was Hotel, Hotel California, was it? When I, when I heard that that drum, uh, the whole drum line on Hotel California, yeah, I fell in love then. That was yeah. that was it. I, I had to come around to that, even though I lived in California all my life. I was like, yeah, it's OK. Um, but I tell you what, though, man, that recording of the Eagles, uh, the Hell Freezes Over tour, when they came back yep. and did that show, that is one of yep. the best performances I have ever seen a band do. Um, from yep. the Hotel California piece to uh, that I Can't Tell You Why track with that with the with the bass player doing that. Oh, man, that is a good I love that particular uh, that that particular set they did, man. That, they, they were great musicians. Yeah, that, that's the key. They were they were musicians. Good point. And that's okay. what okay. I miss a lot today from okay musicians. Okay, okay, okay. Is that overstated ever, or is like the musician quality really isn't as prominent as it used to be? Is it too much technology? I don't know. I think so. I think it's too much technology that has um, substituted for talent and learning. So I mean, dude. I mean, I don't remember when the I tried first came out with that that drum machine, you know, eons ago. Right. I said, man, my career is over. Okay. Yep, <laughs> I yep. said, you know, the life of drummers. But you know, a lot of the pop guys, you know, a lot of the hip hop and rappers, mm-hmm. they went to the technology, and a lot of the pop people went back to doing live sessions. Yep. Yep. And so I, I I said, okay, this is kind of like a trick here. And so, therefore, I, I do see a lot of drummers, mm-hmm. uh, good drummers, but not nowhere near the caliber that was before. Okay. You know, okay. you got to go. You got to go look. I mean, you're talking about. Uh, I used to just look at Buddy Rich, and like I'd almost wedding my pants. Buddy Rich, and, man, yeah. Buddy Rich, yeah. And, and, and you know, to, to to your point earlier, you know, that's where I got my my um, my stuff from was watching Johnny because Johnny Carson had Doc Severinson. Yep. And and in that band there would either be Buddy Rich, there would be uh my my all time favorite drummer is Grady Tate, who's ceased deceased now. Because Grady Tate played on all most of Quincy Jones' stuff, like Killer Joe and all that stuff. That's this drummer named Tate, Grady Tate, who actually wasn't even a drummer. He was a singer. What? Yes, he sung the Mash. Remember Mash? Yeah. That Mash theme song? That's Grady Tate singing the Mash theme song. Theme song. But he he was just, and I met him, and I got a chance to ask him. I was I was still a, I was a shorty. I was now, let's let's double students. check. Which theme? The, the Mask? Mash. Mash. Remember the old TV show? Yeah, the Mask. M- yeah, yeah. yeah, M-A-S-H with Alan Alda and all the... That, yes, that, yes. Okay. Mash. Yes. Huh. Yes. Okay. The, the soundtrack to that is Grady Tate singing. Wow. And 
I asked him, I got to ask him, of course, the, the statement that all drummers ask, you know, how long did you practice? How long do you practice a day, mm -hmm. man? And this guy looked at me like I had three heads and said, <laughs> dude, I don't practice. What do you mean practice? I said, what do you mean you don't practice? He said, I play. He said, so every time I play, that's my practice. He said, I shared when I was your age, but, you know, I don't practice anymore. I play. I, I perform. Play. Yeah. Yeah, I play. Yeah. I don't practice. I play. It's you funny. Know? As you say that, too, I'm thinking of... Uh... Um, another one of my other favorite rock bands, um, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Oh yeah. And Mick oh, yeah. Fleetwood as a drummer. And I, oh, yeah. maybe this in the, in the past few months I heard, uh, Lindsey Buckingham, I think was a, yeah. Okay. So Lindsey said that, yeah, Mick Fleetwood never a formal lesson in his life, but the best drummer he ever played with, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. 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 Mick Fleetwood it was in the same, um, category as um charlie watts you know mm -hmm. with the Rolling Stones. Oh, Rolling Stones. Just, yeah yeah he was just a straight um you know just he was a, he was a freaking metronome yes you know? hey when yeah, i went to see the stones play the first time because I, I mean i getting me to go to concerts like stadium shows and all that kind of stuff was an act of congress first first you got to drive there then you got to walk a mile to get to the seat then you got to stand up sit down so i was never a big stadium rock show but let me right. tell you i went uh, finally, I went to just one of them, and I, I got I went to see the Stones, right? And then I got the art form. I'm like, oh, what Mick did, and I, but and he was doing his thing, and so was uh, who's the other guitar player? Mick, uh, Mick, and um, Keith. Keith, Keith, yeah, Keith Richards. Dude, I was on my eyeballs did not leave the drummer, and that yeah. you're right, he's just a metronome, and he just sat yeah. there and played yeah. that tempo like. And 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 the and the tone on that drum was something I had yep. never heard before. And I'm like, okay, yep. that's God's gift in those hands. Yeah, yep. that was good. Yep. That was good. Yep. Yeah. And we just lost him this year, if I remember right. He just yes. passed, yeah. He just passed away. Yeah. He just yeah. passed. I got to meet him. The bass player. You know, they have a the black. The bass player is black. Yes. Yes. Daryl Jones and yeah. Daryl actually came up here. He was a mentee. Uh, he was my brother, who is deceased now, mm -hmm. was Daryl's mentor as oh, a wow. bass player. Get out of here. And when Daryl left, when they did one tour right before uh, Mick's um, girlfriend died, okay, uh, they were going on a tour, and Daryl had quit, and my brother was going to replace Daryl, and then uh, on the tour, so I got to go sit in at a not sit in, but I got to go and to a couple of rehearsals here in Chicago at Soldier Field. They, they were rehearsing. And um, that's when Nick's girlfriend died, so my brother never got a chance to do the gig. But again, watching these guys, and and, and it just took me back okay. to my roots of professionality. And these guys were just freaking pros. They yeah. were just yeah. They made you know, and I, and I you know, I'm in my shit. I was like in my fifties <laughs> and sixties, right, right. And I still got chills. Yeah. From you know, it was like listening to them. It was like listening to a recording. I mean, hey, it was just. And that's the art form, pop. right? That that's the art yes. form. They're just gift. They're gift. They're pros. They are professional performers, yeah. and that's what they do. And and yes. sometimes I forget, or I think that people forget, this is their craft. That's yes. what they do. And they're yes. supposed to register that emotion out of you, just like the electrician's supposed to turn on the light, and the and yep. the plumber's supposed to make the water flow. These yes. guys do that. 
that is their craft and that is their art. And it's just as finely tuned as anybody else's art and craft. And they know how to do it, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's their, that's what they do. Um, as we're talking about drummers, too, uh, one of the other interesting, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up on this one, was uh, there was a, you remember uh, Bill Withers, right? Use me? Absolutely. All right. Oh, yeah. So the drummer, because uh, on uh, like you, dun, 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 you know, use I'm like, up. okay, yeah, use me up was the same drummer I later learned that was on. Uh, this is a little bit of a West Coast thing too, on Loveland by Charlie Wright, Charles Wright in the 103rd Street band West or something. Band. Yeah, with yeah. Loveland, and then yeah. he used to be with Dyke in the Blazers, as I understand it, who did on Broadway before when it turned into Wilson Pickett's hit. So. Yep. Man, I've been hearing the drum in a way that I never knew all yep. my life, and and it was like, yeah. So as I became a hand drummer and I and and, it's been, and got into community drumming, um, that we'll talk with in 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 a you know in a couple of because I think we're going to do about three or four of these, my man, because I had no way <laughs> I had no way of knowing that we we're going to go down this musical history lane, because when we get together again in chat, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, uh, get into Chicago a little bit more and then go through that uh, connection with the Midwest and try to connect it to the West and the East. And we have a lot, um, a lot of stories to share amongst this stuff. So I, June, I appreciate it. June moon from Chicago and the power of music and the community of music and why I like um, having these stories, June, is that because unless they come up in conversation like this, the history is gone. Yes. The history oh, is yes. gone. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it never occurred to me that I would be picking up this phone and talking with you about the staple singers or about <laughs> Sam Cooke or about uh, Gene Chandler, Jerry Butler, the Impressions. So I'm looking through this convert. I'm looking forward to having this historical musical conversation with you over several of these uh, sessions just to get them. Uh, recorded so that we can put them out there. You know, here's a couple of cats that met through community drumming, drum circles, right? That yeah. got us connected. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Woo -woo. Hey man, I, I look forward to it. I really appreciate the contact because as you said, it's this is history and it's very important. How, do, how, how does it feel to you to, do, have you had a lot of opportunity to share these stories or, or you know, do you tell them all the time? Cause you are- in, in, No, you know? no, no, not, not, not at all. Um, this is probably maybe once a year. I had a, a documentarian um, videotape me about maybe eight months ago, right? And then COVID hit. Well, right before COVID. Okay. And um, um, but he was more. It was more about the. It was my life, but it was more about the business and the whole thing with um, um, technology and how I got into that. But it was more business related because okay. there's a whole nother side. Oh Frank, yeah, yeah. You know, we start talking about the dark side of the business right. of music because I was a record executive of, uh, of most of the major record labels. I was a record executive there, and so it, it, it was a, it was more about that and the artists that I dealt with. So, uh, but no, this what you're doing now, no. All right, I well, hey, well, I'm, and I I will uh, make sure that you get. I'm gonna uh, stop this recording now.